God is on mission to redeem a people from all peoples who will reflect His glory in all spheres of life. The Bible describes and confirms this mission from beginning to end. Woven into the creation of Adam and Eve, the mission extended to all nations through God's promise to Abraham. Jesus took up this same mission and taught it to His disciples. Today, those who follow Christ take on His mission. We were designed to reflect His glory in every sphere of life, not only in this present life, but in the life which is to come throughout the heavens and the earth. Until then, will you give your life to God? Will you join His mission? Well, good morning, Northland. Man, let's just give it up for Rhythms of Grace one more time. Love our special friends. I mean, that last song, I mean, for, that's my third time hearing it this weekend. And uh, uh, last, last gathering, my glasses fogged up. I don't know if anybody, if you were here, like, I'm sitting like, you just want to be in your presence. <laughs> ah. I pray that that's your heart's desire, to be in his presence. Uh, well, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn with me to Revelation 21. Revelation 21. Next time I will bring my, I will bring my little Kleenex up here with me. Don't, don't worry about bringing one up to me. It'd be all right. I'll, I'll, I'll clear up here in just a second. But Revelation 21, we come to the last message in our series, Made for Mission. And we've been looking at God's mission from Genesis all the way through Revelation. And we will look this morning at the future of God's mission. I have a question. How many Back to the Future fans are out here with me this morning? All right. Very, very cool. I feel like I grew up on Back to the Future and, and Marty and Doc Brown and all of their adventures. Well, in the second Back to the Future film, Doc and Marty, they go 30 years into the future. So October 21st, uh, 2015 to be exact. Now, having experienced 2015, what predictions did the producers and writers get right? Now, could you imagine you're the producers, you're the writers of this movie in the 80s, and you're trying to predict what the future would, would, would hold? Well, so here are some things that they got right. The first thing that they got right uh, was wireless and movement games. Now, even though this is an image from the 80s cafe, these two kids, Marty goes over there and he's like, oh man, what a cool game. I played this when I was younger. And so he takes the little gun, he starts shooting the screen. But those, those kids are like, that's, that's so boring to, to, to do this. Like, so they're, they're more into the wireless and movement games, kind of like virtual reality today. So when our youngest, when, when Luke plays virtual reality, don't get near him because he can't see you and he might punch you. So just guess the movement games today. Uh, also, voice-activated technology. And so here when they enter into the house, lights on. Hey, anybody remember the clap on, clap off, clapper? Anybody? Uh, I mean, that was technology before its time. But, but here, you can just say, just like we do today, Siri. Well, we don't do it because we don't have that technology in our house. But I know some people do. Siri, lights on. And then lights come on. Uh, another thing that they got right was 3D movies. 3D 
movies. So this is a scene where, 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 where Jaws now comes out of the screen and he's about to eat Marty. Marty screams like a little girl. And then he's like, and then he's like everything's all right. Uh, another one is tablet computers and devices. They got this right. He has a little tablet computer device in his hand. And then also video conferencing, flat screen TVs, and mobile credit card readers. So in this scene, you see the flat screen TV, you see the video conferencing capabilities, and then he's a, it's a mobile card reader, so he's scanning his card, and they're able to detect it at their business. And so, so again, they got that right, and then drones, they, they got this right too, but this is a drone walking a dog. I really long for the day when there is a drone with the capacity to walk my dog. Because most of the time, most of the time, my wife's in this gathering, so I'm gonna say most of the time, I'm the one walking the dog, but if there was a drone out there with that capability, I think Joni and I, we would be very, very happy. You say, you got three kids. I know, if you can make them do it, I would, I would welcome you to, anyway, so that's, a whole, that, that's for a family series down the road. Anyways, uh, so then the, the last is biometric. So you can scan your little finger, and then it's like, welcome home, Jennifer. So again, 80s didn't have that you know, capability. Later on, we did have that capability. Now, there are some things that have not come true yet that they tried to depict. Number one is expanding pizza. So I, I don't know if you remember this scene, but that would be pretty cool if you could put like a little miniature pizza and it became an extra large pizza. I mean, that's Jesus capabilities right there. You, you know, multiplying pizza. But, but, but then hoverboards, even though I hear that they're working on a prototype, they're working on a prototype. So stay tuned. Stay tuned. And then another one is uh, f uh, like, well, flying cars. That's another one. I I I'm sure Bezos, I mean, he's trying to, you, you know, work on something like this. Maybe, I don't know, but that would be pretty cool. But I, I, I would dare say it'd be a long time before I have a flying car. I don't even have an electric car yet. Anyways, but it's a whole nother thing for a whole nother day. And then the last is fashion. Now, now here's what I have heard. Since 2015, that Nike has developed a prototype where you can download an app and it will tighten your laces. So, so but, 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 you know, prior to 2015, that technology did not exist. You say, Josh, why do you bring Back to the Future up? Well, because the writers and producers, they tried to imagine what is coming down the road 30s years later. And, and then it seemed like, you, you know, culture was working their way towards what they thought was coming down the pipeline. Well, today we come to our last message in our Made for Mission series, which depicts a future, a future that lies beyond, but that future should impact us today, which is why I want to go ahead and give you the main point. So if you're ready for the main point, say you're ready. Here it is. God's mission in the future should affect how we live in the present. God's mission for the future should affect how we live in the present. And so again, back to the future, they're, they're predicting the future and it has implications for the present. People are working their way towards the future. Let me give you another example. And I, I was trying to think of, uh, of an example and, and, and kind of tailor it away uh, in a way that you might kind of maybe grasp. All right, so let's say you have two 20-year-olds. And they are going to work on a farm shoveling manure. Well, Josh, why is it shoveling manure? Well, I'm just staying in the Back to the Future theme because Biff, he did not like manure. And so anyways, just say you have two 20-year-olds. They're going to work on a farm shoveling manure for the next 
20 years. Now, one of the 20-year-olds, he is told that he's going to get minimum wage for the next 20 years, and so, but he's not going to get that lump sum until after the 20-year mark. So let's just say minimum wage is $15 an hour. So $15 an hour, uh, you know, at 40 hours a week times 20, roughly is $624,000 this 20-year-old will get when he's then 40. Let's say the other 20-year-old. Let's say, he, again, he's doing the same job on the same farm, shoveling manure, but he's going to get a thousand times the amount of minimum wage, and he's going to get that lump sum at the very end. Again, working 40 hours a week for 20 years. Guess how much he's going to make at a thousand times minimum wage? $624 million. Let me ask you this. Do you think that the sum of what they will get will change how they perceive their work in the present? Absolutely. That, that one that's only getting minimum wage, he's probably thinking, this isn't worth it. It stinks. It's hard labor. It's tedious. I don't like it. It's not worth it. The other 20-year-old, the other on the other hand, oh my gosh, I'm getting $624 million at the end of 20 years. I can do it. I'll, I'll whistle. I'll whistle while I work, just kind of like one of the dwarves, you know, the whistle while they work. So, so what's happening in the future is impacting their lives in the present. And, and what I hope and pray that we'll see this morning as we dive into Revelation 21 is that our future as the people of God, the, the future that, that John's going to write for us will impact us in the present. In fact, that's the whole reason why John wrote the book of Revelation is because believers were living in a very difficult time. They were facing persecution and death. And so, so John, under the influence and the power of the Holy Spirit, writes the book of Revelation to basically provide them a living hope that in the end, Jesus wins. And if you are in Jesus, you win. And so you can endure anything till the end because glory is coming. So with that, will you stand as we honor the reading of God's word and hear what is coming? John writes, then I saw, everybody say saw. He saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice. You, you say, Josh, why are you so loud? Right here, this is why I'm loud. Like the Bible says, a loud voice. I'm just trying to mimic and imitate our king because a loud voice came from the throne. I'm just joking about that. You know, well, I have a loud, I, this is just how God made me. But John says, I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. So from the very beginning, God has wanted to, to make and then redeem a people for himself. And here we see at the very end, that's happened. Verse four, he will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order, the old order of things have passed away. Everybody say, passed away. passed away. Verse 5, and he was seated. 
He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. And then he said to John, write, write the, this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. John, go ahead and take it to the bank. What I'm telling you today, write it down. It's trustworthy. It will happen. And then verse 6, he said to me, it is done. I'm the Alpha and the Omega, which is the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. Those who are victorious will inherit all of this. And I will be their God and they will be my son or they will be my children. But the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, the idolaters and all liars, they will be consigned to the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. Uh, Jesus, we pray that you would be the center of this message. Spirit, I pray that you would work in the preaching of your word and shaping and conforming us more into the image of Jesus and then also reorienting and attuning our hearts to what is coming in our life so that we might be affected in the present. Spirit, I pray for those here in this room, those who will engage us online either now or even later in the week or in the coming months and even years of this message. I pray, Spirit, that you would work on those who are far from Jesus, that you would draw them to the glory and the beauty and the grace and the forgiveness of Jesus. Draw them to the beauty he is creating for those who are followers of him. We pray all this in your name, our King. Amen. You may be seated. All right, so I want us to look at three things in the future that should affect us in the present. Three things in the future that should affect us now here in the present. Number one, what we see. What we see here should affect us now in the present. So what, what, what do we see or what, what did John see? Well, he sees first a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and earth had passed away. But then notice in verse 2, I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down. Now, now this is interesting, because after verse 1, you do not see a new heaven. You don't see the heaven and the earth, the new heaven and earth again. Why is that? Well, there, there's no consensus here, but many scholars believe that what you have in the holy city is the collision of heaven and earth. It's the collision of heaven and earth. And, and so when, when God created the heavens and the earth in Genesis 1, now at the very end, at the very end of time, we have heaven and earth colliding in the form of a holy city, New Jerusalem. So there's no need of heaven and earth because we have now a new city. Now, what kind of city is this new Jerusalem? Is this holy city? Well, I'm glad that you asked. Well, let's see some descriptions. First of all, it's a heavenly city. So the, the city, new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. God has made this city. Now, for those of you who are Bible nerds, there's this portion in Hebrews, in Hebrews chapter 11, where the author is listing out the hall of faith, all of the heroes of faith in Old Testament times. And in his portion about Abraham, we see that Abraham is longing for a city whose builder and designer is God. 
This is what Abraham was looking forward to. We see it finally. The holy city, New Jerusalem, it has been made by God for God and his people. Uh, Last week, you also heard me talk about how uh, John 14, Jesus says, I go to prepare a place for you. This is the place that he has prepared for his disciples, for his followers, for God's children. It is a heavenly city coming down out of heaven from God. God has built this city. Could you imagine God built this city with his own hands? God built this city. And then we also see that in this city, it is a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. So it's transformed people ready for their marriage. So uh, I've done a lot of weddings you know, over the years. I've never seen an ugly bride. Never seen an ugly bride. And, and, and so what we see here is, is the city is, is the bride of the groom, and, and she's beautifully dressed for her husband. At, at the end of verse 9, we see, come, I'll show you the bride, the wife of the lamb. So this city is the wife of the lamb. The people in it is the wife of the lamb. And then in verse 11, we read, this city shone with the glory of God, and its brilliance was like that of a very precious jewel. You you do recall that throughout this entire series, God is on mission to, to create and then later to redeem because we're fallen, to redeem, to purchase back a people from all peoples to reflect his what? glory in all spheres of life. Here here we have the city full of the redeemed people of God, stunning, beautiful, glorious. If you think about it, if you've read Ephesians, the book of Ephesians, which the apostle Paul wrote in, in the New Testament, it tells husbands to love their wives as Christ loved the church. And it talks about how, how Jesus is wanting to perfect his bride is wanting to clean, clean her, his bride up so that she might be stunning. Well, here's his bride, stunning in all the glory. And then we see that this city is also a mega city. Everybody say mega. It's a mega city. We read in verse 12, it had a great high wall with 12 gates, with 12 angels at the gates. A few verses later, here's what we read. The angel who talked with me had a measuring rod of gold to measure the city, its gates and its walls. The city was laid out like a square. As long as it was wide, he measured the city with the rod and found it to be 12,000 stadia in length and as wide and high as it was long. 12,000 stadia is roughly 1,400 miles. And so I and, you know, I had a little fun this week. I'm like, all right, what, what's 1,400 miles in length? What's 1,400 miles wide? And, and so here, here I'm going to put up a little map. Uh, this, is, this is the square. This is the new city. This is the holy city. And so you start in Key West. You go all the way up to New York, which is approximately 1,400 miles. You go from New York City to Fargo, North Dakota, approximately 1,400 miles. From Fargo, North Dakota, all the way down to Corpus Christi, about 1,400 miles. And from Corpus Christi all the way back to Key West, approximately 1,400 miles. That's the new city. Now, I want, you to, I, want, I want us to think, think about how much rural space is just in that square. But, but in the new city, there's no rural space. It's all city. I mean, think, think about the urban landscape. 
And then it's as high as it is wide and in length. Now, what does that mean, Josh? I don't know. No scholars know. Does that mean is that's how tall the skyscrapers will be? Will it be various levels? That we, we don't know. And then the other thing is, do you know why it's a square? See, in the Old Testament, they created, they built another square, and it was called the temple. And in that temple, there was another smaller square, the Holy of Holies. And that's where the presence of God dwelt. That's where the, what they called the Shekinah glory, that's where the full weight of God's glory dwelt. This entire cube space will be filled with God's presence. I mean, that's why I can't fathom it. I mean, words cannot articulate enough to describe the, the significance of that. God's presence only dwelt in this small little cube in Israel, but now his presence will fill the entire city and we will get to bask in the glory and the presence of God. We will be with him and he'll be our God. And then there's... There's a pricelessness to the city. Now, I was going to say a wealthy city or a filthy rich city, but neither would have done justice. This is a priceless city. This city has wealth beyond measure. I mean, look at what it's made with from verse 18 through 21. The wall is made of jasper. This city is of pure gold. The city, that, I mean, I, we don't have the map up again, but think about it, the entire city, pure gold. Foundations of the city walls were decorated with every kind of precious stone. I, I can't even, I, I can't even, uh, you know, uh, sh- you know, say all of these precious stones. I can't even pronounce, you know, pr- pronounce them right. But, but I'll try some of them: jasper, sapphire, agate. I don't even think I pronounced that right. Emerald, onyx, ruby, chrysolite, beryl, topaz, turquoise. Uh, you know, m- maybe vibranium will be there. What's vibranium? We'll watch Black Panther. Maybe, maybe it'll be there. That'd be something that they, we haven't discovered yet. But the streets will be made of gold. I want us to realize human civilization has never seen a city like this. This city makes Solomon, who is the wealthiest person who's ever lived on planet Earth, this makes Solomon's kingdom and wealth look like the slums of India. This city has wealth beyond comprehension, beauty that eyes have never seen, a cleanliness that Disney cannot even obtain. I remember you know, going to New York City for the very first time. Now, I come from Mumford, Tennessee. Where's Mumford? Well, outside of Memphis, rural. I grew up on a dirt road. I remember going to New York City for the first time. It always makes me remember that Pace Picante commercial, New York City. That, that was me. <laughs> but it was just amazing. It was overwhelming. I mean, New York City, Los Angeles, Chicago, the three largest cities in the U.S. have nothing on this city. The mega cities in China have nothing on this city, New Jerusalem. It's priceless. The last thing we see in this city are the nations. Are the nations. Now, again, why would we see the nations? Well, again, going back to Genesis 12, God promised that through Abraham... He would bless all the families, all of the nations of the earth. We see that mission now culminated here in the city as the nations stream in. So we read this in verse 24 through 26. The nations will walk by its light. What 
what light? The glory of God and the Lamb. And the kings of the earth will bring their splendor into the city. On no day will its gates ever be shut. You know, we don't, I'm going to get ahead of myself. The gates will, will, will never be shut for there will be no night there. The glory and honor of the nations will be brought into the city. What does it mean for the nations to stream into the city bringing their glory and their honor? Well, again, as human beings, we were created to reflect God's glory, his weight, his significance, who he is. When you think about the word glory, it might be helpful to think about two sides of glory. So the first side of glory is matter. The second side of glory is matters. So matter and matters. Matter is material. Uh, so it's, it's life, it's cultural artifacts, it's material and wealth, jewelry, clothing, literature, accomplishments. It, it basically is the cultural artifacts in a particular culture, which is anything created by humans, which gives information about the culture of its creator and users. So one side of glory is matter. It's material things. That's the reason why the new city, uh, heaven on earth, the heaven and earth colliding it will be a material creation we will not be some spirits floating for all eternity but playing this invisible harp that is not what the bible teaches it's material so you got the nation streaming in bringing the material bringing their accomplishments bringing their culture and saying hey our glory and honor has been for you that's the reason why your work matters today English teachers, you're, you're teaching English, you're teaching, you're teaching students how to take words and make something of words, sentences, and then poetry, and then stories. I mean, that, that's making, and so what you're doing is you're, you're reflecting God. I mean, in, in accounting, I could go on and on and on, but your matter, it matters, and then matters. Matters is immaterial. It's your values, it's your character, it's your knowledge, it's your wisdom. So what is happening is that these nations are streaming in, bringing their honor and glory. So not only are they bringing their materials, they're bringing their immaterials, their values, their character, their attributes, and they're saying, hey, it was all for you and your glory, and that is why they're streaming into the city. It was for them to give God the glory due his name. That is the reason why, as believers, everything we do, from what we produce to who we are, is to reflect him. Now, let me mention a few things we don't see. We don't see. The, the first thing we don't see is no see. Everybody say no see. All right, so for you beach-loving people, I, let me just help you. It doesn't mean that there won't be any sea or ocean there. Now, will there be? I don't know. But here, the, 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 the meaning behind that is that there will be no chaos. Because the sea in antiquity meant chaos, turmoil. And, and so in this new city, in new creation, no turmoil, no chaos. That's why he sees no sea. But then there's no sun or moon in verse 23. Guess what, Floridians? No longer any sunblock. Hallelujah. Amen. No more UV rays, <laughs> no sun, no moon. Why? Because the glory of God lights this new creation. And then we see in verse 22, no temple. 
The entire city will be the temple. And then verse 27, here's the best word I could come up with. No riffraff. No riffraff. Nothing impure will ever enter into the city, nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful. No riffraff. Could you imagine a world with no riffraff? So those are a few things John does not see. Number two, who we hear. Who we hear. Verse three through five. So not only does John see some things, but he, but he hears from someone. Now we, we see verse three, and I heard a loud voice from the throne. Now here's what's so interesting. This is, this is, this is, this is so great. So in the Old Testament, in Isaiah, it depicts God's throne in heaven and earth being his footstool. But now in the new city, his throne's there. So that's what's so amazing. His throne is in the new city where we'll be. And from the throne, we hear a loud voice. So it must be the king. It must be Jesus sitting on the throne. And here's what Jesus says. Verse 4, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. Don't you think about it? No longer will we encounter death. No diseases, no viruses, no COVID, no flu, no disasters, no more hurricanes. No wars, divisions, no more funerals, memorial services, no more grief because there's no more loss. No more sadness or anger or exhaustion. No more hurts, heartaches, or hangups. No more arthritis. Can I get an amen? No more hip replacements or knee replacements. Uh, no, no, hey, 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 uh, uh, Gen Z, no more pimples. No more aging, like I, I you know, uh, because my wife has always made fun of my wrinkles on my forehead, and so I've become self-conscious of my forehead, and so I put anti-aging cream on it now, the cheap kind, not the expensive kind. <laughs> I don't have to worry about that in the new city. No more depression, no more loneliness, no more hunger pains. You'll never be hangry again. We don't have to worry about people having adequate shelter or clothing. They will have it. See... The whole idea of the old order of things have passed away. Here's what that means. In the holy city, New Jerusalem, the curse of sin will be lifted fully while the consummation of God's kingdom will be fully implemented. We can't fathom that. And then from, from the throne, the king makes this statement, I am making everything new. Now, again, I... This is where I was like, Lord, in my finite mind, I'm having a hard time developing, articulating this vision. And so what I did in order to even try to help give us a glimpse, you remember in Genesis 1, the very first message I preached in this series, in verse 28, God blesses Adam and Eve and he says, be fruitful, multiply, fill, subdue, and have dominion. Those five activities of what it means to be human, I condense into three big buckets. Relate, create, and operate. Now, I want us to think about, I want, you, I want us to think about this idea of how Jesus is making everything new, how we relate. See, in the new city, we don't have to worry about self-loathing and having a bad self-esteem. We don't have to worry about shame or guilt. We don't have to worry about looking into a mirror and wondering if we are good enough. 
We won't have to worry about anxiety, depression, or suicidal thoughts. We won't have to worry about someone wronging us or us wronging someone. We won't have to worry about someone abandoning us or walking out on us. We won't have to worry about miscommunication, no communication, or bad communication. We won't have to worry about betrayal or family disputes. We won't have to worry about bullying or cyberbullying. We won't have to worry about gossip or murmuring or slander. We won't have to worry about racial slurs or discrimination. We won't have to worry about an abuse of power or calling the division of family and child services. We won't have to worry about having 911. What's your emergency? There will be no emergency. We won't have to worry about school or business shootings or thefts or crime areas. We don't have to worry uh, about enemies or being someone's enemy. We won't have to worry about egoism, narcissism, or any kind of ethnocentrism. We We won't have to worry about the city being divided by status or socioeconomic status. And we won't have to worry about lustful thoughts. Why? Every relationship will be pure and righteous and holy, devoid of sin or any sinful tendencies. Well, Josh, what about what we create? Well, we won't have to worry about worshiping that which we create or what we create controlling us. That means, guess what? We won't have to worry about sitting down in the evenings and endlessly scrolling through Facebook, Instagram, or TikTok. We don't have to worry about eating a bad meal ever again. We don't have to worry about eating a heavenly donut and worrying about whether or not we're going to gain five pounds in our rear. All right, amen. We won't have to worry about racking up debt we cannot pay off. We won't have to worry about becoming a workaholic. We won't have to worry about being intoxicated with any substance other than being controlled by the glory of King Jesus. We won't have to worry about learning disabilities or bad teachers. We won't have to worry about watching the news and being depressed and discouraged over the bad stories we hear. We won't have to worry about governments and politicians that say one thing and do another. We won't have to worry about fights between elephants and donkeys. We won't have to worry about inappropriate music or movies or shows or plays hitting our eyes and our ears. We won't have to worry about economic recessions or depressions. We won't have to worry about terminations or layoffs. We won't have to worry about a judicial system that weighs in on matters of immorality and illegal matters. Everything we create and consume will be light years from what we experience today. It will be devoid of brokenness and sinfulness. And then how we operate. We won't have to worry about spending money in a way that is greedy or selfish. We won't have to worry about mismanaging our time. We won't have to worry about using our talents in a way that's manipulative. We won't have to worry about using the city as a means to make a name for ourselves and to glorify ourselves. We will fully operate and steward everything in a manner that brings glory to God and flourishing from the city. That's the new creation. And I love this even, I love this quote by Anthony Hokema because it gives us even a, a, a way to maybe even think about what we will create. Will there be a better Beethoven on the new earth? As one author has suggested. Shall we see better Rembrandts, better Raphaels, better Constables? Shall we read better poetry, better drama, better prose? Will scientists continue to advance in technological achievement with geologists continuing to dig out the treasures of the earth? And will architects continue to build imposing and attracting structures? Will there be exciting new adventures in space travel? I think, I mean, listen, I mean, you think about how big and vast the space is, why not? We don't know. 
But we do know that human dominion over nature will then be perfect. Our culture will glorify God in ways that surpass our most fantastic dreams. So here's the last point. How we get there. So what we see, what we hear, how you get there. How do we get there? Because this is a place that is really unimaginable. Finite words can't even really paint the correct, I mean, just the picture, the deep picture that we, we hear, we see. So how do we get there? Well, let, let me share first and foremost how you don't get there. Verse 8, but the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, the idolaters, and all the liars, they will be consigned to the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. Some scholars note how John's list alludes to those who were inside the church as well as to those who were outside the church. This is a sobering thought that there are people here, you would claim that you're part of Northland, those who are engaging with this online, you would claim that you're part of Northland or that you would claim that you are a believer, but in all actuality, you aren't. It's what John is getting at. That's the reason why he uses the word cowardly, unbelieving, and liars. So the cowardly, the unbelieving, the liars, they were people who were fearful in the midst of persecution. They didn't make it. They were unfaithful. Uh, they said one thing but believed and did another. They compromised their faith in some way. They didn't make it. They did not have the faith that endures. So that's why he says cowardly, unbelieving liars. But then the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice sorcery or magic, tarot cards, palm readers, zodiac signs, witchcraft, and the idolaters seem to point to a list of characterizing those outside the church. So ultimately, everyone on the list rejected God, and they will spend an eternity in a place devoid of God's presence. God will then, for all eternity, give these people over fully to the hell in their hearts. And thus hell will be filled with everlasting chaos, darkness, pain, where their thirst will be unquenchable. There's, there, there, there's definitely... This, this sentiment in our church culture where we don't speak of this anymore. Let me just say, I will speak on it. I am speaking on it. And you don't want to go there. It's a real place. After this life, you don't get a next. But here's the thing. You don't want to go to heaven because you don't want to go to hell. You want to go to heaven because that's where Jesus is. Because if you want to go to heaven just so that you don't go to hell, guess who the center of that sentiment is? You. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I was preaching. That was a little preachy preacher right there. But I, yeah, so sorry. Got a little preachy there for a moment. You see, you're always preachy. Well, you know, tomato, tomato. Yeah. You don't want to go there. How do, you, how do you get to heaven? How do, you get, how do you get into the holy city? Well, there's, there's four things here. Different descriptions, all about the same thing. First, you have to believe that everything begins and ends with Jesus. 
He's the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. You, me, we're not the Alpha and the Omega. We're not the beginning of the end. Jesus is. Second, you have to be thirsty and receive water from Jesus. Humans are thirsty. But what happens is that we, we take the relate, create, and operate, and we hope that what, what our relationships will do, what we create, and how we operate, we, we hope, as, as fallen human beings, we hope that those things will satisfy our thirst. But here's what the Bible teaches. The only one to satisfy our thirst as human beings is Jesus. That is the reason why on the cross, he, he literally says, I thirst. And so what, what does that mean? It means that Jesus became cosmically thirsty so that we can be eternally quenched. Think about it. He died for you, died for me. Our sin took our place. He became thirsty, cosmically thirsty so that we could be eternally quenched. So you need to realize that you're thirsty and that the only person that can fulfill and quench your thirst is Jesus. Third, you have to become victorious in Jesus. You have to become victorious in Jesus. Verse 7, those who are victorious will inherit all of this. Everything in the city, the entire city, the one who is victorious in Jesus. Why? Jesus is the one. Through his death and resurrection, he defeated death, he defeated hell, he defeated the grave, and he crushed the head of Satan. In Jesus, we are victorious. In Jesus, we will endure. In Jesus, we will persevere. In Jesus, we will inherit the new city. It's in Jesus, not you. And then last... You have to belong to Jesus. I will be their God and they will be my children. And then the very end of the chapter, verse 27, those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. Is your name written in the Lamb's book? Are you a child of the King? Notice that list has nothing to do with your works. You don't get into heaven. I don't get into heaven because I went to church. I, I, I don't get into heaven. You don't get into the new city because you read your Bible. You don't get into the new city because you gave a lot of, I'll give a lot of money to Northland. Who cares? That, 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 you know, Jesus isn't going, well, I wonder how much money you gave. I wonder how many Bible studies you went to. I wonder how many times you prayed. That does not get you into the new city. Jesus gets you into the new city. Those are just byproducts of you worshiping Jesus. I read the Bible because Jesus is my king. I pray to Jesus because he's my king. I give to the church because Jesus is my king. I tell people about Jesus because he's my king. You, you, you get it, right? Like you don't get into the new city because of what you've done. But what he's done, you get in by his works, not yours. So, here in just a moment, we're going to have communion. And this is going to be an incredible way of wrapping up the series and wrapping up this message. And, and here's the reason why. Because in Matthew 26, we see where Jesus, he institutes the Lord's Supper with his disciples. And he tells them, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until I drink it anew with you into the kingdom of God. Now, what does that mean? 
That means there's coming a time, and we just read about it, when we will have the marriage supper of the Lamb. So when the city falls as a bride prepared for the groom, prepared for her husband, at that moment, at that day, we're going to have the marriage supper of the Lamb. That, 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 that's what Jesus is referring to in Matthew 26. So every time we, as the people of God, observe communion or the Lord's Supper or the Eucharist, whatever you say, we are not only looking backwards to what Jesus did through his death and his resurrection, we're actually also looking forward to new creation, to the holy city, New Jerusalem. So that's why it's a past thing, but it's also a future thing that affects us in the present. Which is why when we observe communion, you need to empty yourself. And what I mean by empty yourself, you need to look inside and go, is there any junk in my life that I need to confess right now? Because here's the thing, Jesus died for my junk and in the, in the future, in the new city, there won't be any junk. So right now I'm constantly confessing my junk. If there's a problem that you have with a brother and sister, if there's some friction, if, if, if there's some you know, turmoil between you and another brother or another sister, you go to them before you observe communion. Why? Jesus died that we might be united. We might be one. Jesus died so that later on there will be no riffraff. There will be no brokenness. There will be no miscommunication in heaven. So, we're, so what we're doing, we're getting that right now in the present. You see, Jesus' death and resurrection, not only is it past, but it affects us in the future and therefore it should impact us in the present. And communion attunes our hearts and our minds to that very reality. So let's pray before we take communion. We thank you, our King, that you have made us new. And that one day we will be fully made new, devoid of any effects of sin. So in the present, I pray that we would be mindful of what you are doing in and through us. I pray that as we take communion, the bread and the juice, that we would just reorient and attune our hearts to what you've done and to what you will do so that we might be a reflection of you in the present. With your head bowed and your eyes closed, let me give you some thoughts here in the next few moments. When I, when I say amen, you're gonna get up uh, when the usher tells you that your row is up. And then you will come, you'll grab the elements, you'll return to your seat. And whenever you're ready, you take of those elements. If you need gluten-free elements, they will be in the back of the sanctuary. Thank you.